0: Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill, who got to finally watch the Buckeyes live and in person on Saturday. So, what
1: did you think, Colin? Well, uh, I feel like uh, it took one quarter for everybody to determine who's going to start at quarterback for Ohio State this fall. So, I got to see the the emotions there, uh, which you know, I it was great because Ryan Day on you know on the spring game uh, broadcast before the game said that you know, they're not going to know who the quarterback is after the game. And, you know, it's funny because everybody watching the game decided who it was going to be one quarter into it, which is the the glory of a spring game when nobody has seen these guys before. Well, that's what we do as football fans, right? We, 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 we react and
0: overreact to everything that we are able to see. And uh, for for most of us, you know, for, for you, I mean, I got to watch snippets of a few practices, but for most people, this is the only time we're going to see these guys throw the ball until September
1: 2 at Minnesota so of course we're gonna react to it as, as we should you know it was it's one of those things where I, I look forward to the spring game and then you're sitting watching the spring game and you're like man I would rather watch them play like Bowling Green or something <laughs> can, can, it I don't know if it I don't know if just if if it has changed or, or what it is but it feels less competitive maybe a little harder to watch than it is than it has been in past years. And maybe that's just the fact that they weren't actually tackling. It was quote unquote thud. I don't know what it was like. It was interesting to watch the quarterbacks. And at the same time, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have blamed anyone if they were interested in watching the game and two quarters. And at halftime, they just decide, you know, what, you know, maybe I have better things to do on my Saturday after watching, watching uh, half of this. When I get why they did it because really at heart,
0: it's a practice. It's the final practice of a spring and it's really all about trying to get quality reps for those guys. But I do think the whole Brutus Buckeye and then going to offense defense in the second half took something away from it because I mean, I didn't even put the score in my game story because I didn't know what the final score was because literally the scoreboard in the stadium listed a different score than the live stats. They sent to the media because nobody knew which team was Brutus, which team was Buckeye. I mean, they sent us rosters on Friday And then it was very clear in the second series of the game when Kyle McCord was playing for the other team his first time in the game that the rosters did not mean a damn thing. So I think that took away some of the competitive aspect of it and that they've always switched guys between rosters. But this year, the whole, you know, roster element of it, you know, competitive element of it, of one team winning and one team losing just really didn't matter.
1: We did get to watch some football, though, which I appreciate, unlike... Those in Ann Arbor who uh, haven't seen a single thing because I guess the the uh, the key to Michigan getting back on the horse this year is to have just complete secrecy until the first week. So they didn't have a spring game that was unfortunate for all Michigan fans, I'm sure. but you know, Dan, we did get to see four quarters of Ohio State. and you know, I know we're gonna talk about talk talk a lot about everything. I don't know how we watch that and start anywhere other than the quarterbacks though.
0: Well, I mean, that's, that's what people want to hear about, right? That's what people want to talk about. I mean, we got to to start with quarterbacks because it is the biggest storyline of the spring. It's going to be the biggest storyline until the season starts and even once the season starts. So I think we have to start there. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it felt like everybody pretty quickly came to a conclusion about who the starting quarterback was going to be. And I think the conclusion there was C.J. Stroud. And I don't know if I quite agree with that, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, but just to start with CJ Stroud as a guy who I think has been viewed as the potential front runner in this competition all along. I think he looked the part. I don't, I think you watch that. If you, if you went into that game thinking CJ Stroud is probably going to be the starter of the team this year, I don't think you come out of that game feeling any differently about him being capable of being the guy.
1: No, I think that that's, you know, it's funny because it's hard to really explain exactly what that is, but I got the same vibe when you just watch him. It's like, well, he just, he's just acting like the starting quarterback. Like he looks like he has a command of the offense. He looks like he knows what he's doing. You didn't, you didn't watch him and see him make significant mistakes out there. It's not like he was throwing bad passes. He was making mental errors. It felt like he was in command of it. You know, we saw him early on go down the field to, to Chris Olave and essentially just do the throw it up to Chris Olave and let him make a play throw, which, uh you know, we've seen over and over is a high percentage throw in the Ohio State offense. Um We've seen him. what I felt like, you know, I thought I thought about CJ Stroud is, you know, we can talk about Kyle McCord and, and you know, his physical abilities, because I think that those were on display, but he. I felt like you could see the experience there. You could see the fact that, you know, he's been in the program now for over a year and sure he hasn't thrown a pass in a real game yet, but there is some sort of command of the offense. Our Kyle Jones
0: uh, wrote about it on Monday as well about kind of a different plays that each of a quarterback ran. And he, you know, one of his big takeaways was that CJ was running a wider breadth of a playbook, but he was, he was running a wider variety of plays. They were opening up the playbook uh, more for him. And, you know, like you said, I mean, just watching him, I think, you know, you got the sense that, you know, he was in command. He was uh, comfortable with what he was doing. Uh, Like you said, there weren't any uh, obvious mistakes. You know, there were, you know, he didn't throw any, you know, bad passes into traffic, you know, I mean, he, you know, and even, you know, the times where he didn't complete passes Uh, For the most part, you know, they were just passes that, you know, went harm, harmlessly out of bounds. Uh, You know, there were, there wasn't, I didn't watch the game and there wasn't like one pass that he threw where I went, wow, that was a really bad throw. Like, I mean, there were a couple that were off target, but for the most part, I watched it and he, he did a good job. Like he looked the part of a guy who could be the starting quarterback for Ohio state. So, you know, I think all in all, I come away with a, you know, very positive outlook. On CJ Stroud coming out of a spring game,
1: yeah. He, to me, he did nothing to dissuade the fact that everybody on the outside of the program has sort of assumed that he's the front runner for the job. Um, and and you know, there there weren't five plays that I was like, oh my, like I cannot believe he did that. Um, but that's fine. Like it's a spring game. Like if you remember what Justin Fields' first game was was like. Uh, it was nothing special. So it's one of those things where it's hard to put too much into a spring game. But, you know, these are the only plays that that we really get to see from him from now until August when maybe we see a practice or two. And then when when, when the actual games start against uh, Minnesota on that Thursday.
0: Now, if that being said, you know, I, I did say last week that I had been impressed with what I had seen from Kyle McCord. And I was impressed by what I saw from Kyle McCord again on Saturday. Literally his first play in Ohio Stadium, he throws a 55-yard bomb over the middle to Garrett Wilson, and I think you know charting his throws, he went 12 of 16, uh, you know, very consistent. Again, you have to view everything with Kyle McCord through the lens of this is a guy who's literally in his first semester at Ohio State. This is a guy who could still be in high school right now, and he looked comfortable out there. Like he, he, he looked like he had a good command out there as well. You know, he didn't look like, you know, flustered, like you might expect from a freshman, you know, he didn't, you know, make any, you know, noticeably poor decisions. You know, there were a couple misses, you know, like there was one, I know that, you know, he had Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, open in the end zone for what would have been a 19 yard touchdown and he overshot him, but he had a really nice touchdown pass to Smith and Jigba later in the game. So, you know, I was really impressed by what I saw from Kyle McCord, I said it last week and I'm going to double down on it, but I think Kyle McCord has the best arm of these three quarterbacks. I think he's got maybe the highest upside as a passer of these three guys. Now that doesn't mean that I necessarily think he's the best quarterback right now. I, I, I still lean toward that being Stroud right now, but I do think Kyle McCord has a lot of upside to where, again, I've, Seen so much less than Ryan Day and Corey Dennis has that ultimately I'm going to trust their judgment and how they decide to play this thing out. But just based on the very limited sample size I've seen, to me, I think Kyle McCord at least deserves a shot to go win that job in preseason camp to see how he can continue to develop over the next few months and at least give him a shot, at least early. In August to get some first team reps and show what he can do and make a push for that job. He was, he
1: was interesting to watch. Um, because you're right, you know, he's not that far removed from throwing a Marvin Harrison Jr. back when they were playing high school football. That is that is recent, recent history um for those two. And for him to come out on the first play and hit Garrett Wilson, that was like all right you know, I guess, I guess you are ready for this thing. Um, And, and I think that if you look at, you know, I talked about CJ Stroud's polish, you know, I don't think Kyle McCord is there right now, but he's also three months, three and a half months into being in college, like to expect him to have that kind of polish would be crazy. And, And especially since in the back of our minds, like we can all be honest, you know, the last guy to run this offense was Justin Fields. So part of us is just thinking back to Justin Fields throwing the ball and and maybe not directly comparing them but at least keeping that in mind and I think that if you look at just the arm talent like you said yeah that's pretty evident that 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 Kyle McCord can ha, has that and I think you know what's going to be fascinating now is you know where does Kyle McCord go from here over the next 3 months and that's just the thing it's it's just so hard to know but you can't really overstate the importance of that because we talk about him being in college now for three months and that being it, and him going through fifteen practices at college at the college level, and like that's literally all he's going to have until the preseason starts. Um, so. It's 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 almost hard to peg exactly where he's going to be when the preseason rolls around and they're actually in a competition, just because you don't know how these next three months are going to go. And they're so so important to closing that gap between him and Stroud when it comes to command of the offense and, and comfortability and, and what he's asked to what he's asked to do. But you see the physical tools, and I think what you've been saying is right. Like there's no way you can rule out Kyle McCord right now to to, to him for him to win this job. You know, he's just got to kill it over the next three, four months and right into preseason and and show that, you know, he has that command. He has that control of the offense and combine it with the, the physical skill set that we saw on Saturday. And and he, yeah, I think he can win the job.
0: Jack Miller was actually the quarterback who played the most snaps on Saturday. He was actually the one who took the first snaps in the game for Team Buckeye. But I think it's been pretty unanimous that, he was the least impressive of the quarterbacks on Saturday. That doesn't mean he was bad. I mean, especially when you look at some past spring game performances, I mean, he wasn't bad, but when I charted the throws, the thing that really stood out to me with Jack Miller was he did not complete a pass farther than 11 yards downfield on Saturday. And again, talking with our Kyle Jones, you know, the big thing that he took away as somebody who really watches the scheme was it seemed like even compared to McCord, that they were running a more limited offense with Jack Miller, but, you know, it was, it was just a lot of short throws. They weren't really trusting him, uh, to, to do the same things that, you know, Stroud and even McCord were doing, you know, he didn't throw any touchdowns. He had an inter- he had the only interception of the day to me, you know, I mean, again, all of this comes with the caveat of it's just one practice we didn't see what happened in the other 14 spring practices maybe Jack was the best quarterback in most practices we don't know that but just based on what I have to go off and that includes the little bits of spring practices I've seen as well to me it would seem like Stroud and McCord are the better options here and that Jack I've said it before, whether it ends up being at Ohio state or somewhere else, I think Jack Miller has the skills to be a successful college quarterback, but my perception right now would be that he is the least likely to win this job.
1: Yeah. I think everybody went into the spring and, and went into this year really expecting that he was the least likely of the three to, to win the starting quarterback job. And I think coming out of it, like, to be quite honest, like to be blunt, like I think everybody would be just totally blown away if he's the starter. It's not that you can rule him out entirely because like, like you said, you know, you've only seen snippets of practices. We've seen one of their spring practices. Um, and he's been on campus now for over a year. So to, to say there's a 0% chance probably isn't accurate, but it does feel like if you're, if you're talking about command of the offense, comfortability of the offense, it feels like CJ Stroud has that edge. If you're talking about the best arm, the best physical package, it feels like Kyle McCord has that edge. And when Jack Miller's behind them both in those two categories, like, I just think that that's a hard thing to overcome. So
0: I think we would both agree. I think our depth chart projection right now would be CJ Stroud, number one, Kyle McCord, number two, Jack Miller, number three. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's fair. And I think that there's there's a larger gap between two and three than one and two. That's how I feel too. So now my question is, where do we think
0: this goes from here? Because, you know, I, I think, you know, when I was re watching the game, one of the things that, you know, struck me was they were talking to Joshua Perry, who is the sideline reporter for BTN. And, and he was talking about how back in uh, 2015, after they won the national championship, that they literally, going into that first game at Virginia Tech, they did not know whether. Cardale Jones or JT Barrett was going to start the game because urban Meyer could not make up his mind to the point that they literally didn't know who was going to start until they went out there for the first drive of the game. I don't think you want that. I think, I think, and I don't even think, I don't think that's going to happen, but I would say that it, it should not happen. I think if you're Ryan day, I think you need to be more decisive than that, especially because you know, you are going into two significant games to start your season against Minnesota Against Oregon. So I think to me, I think by about the midpoint of preseason camp, I think you need to make your decision. If it was me, I I think, you know, those first couple weeks, if what happened over the course of 15 spring practices mirrors what we've seen in a very limited sample size, I would think you give McCord a chance to compete with Stroud to start the spring. And then ideally, within about two weeks of practice, you get to a point where you feel confident in who your best guy is, and you start to prepare for that first game with a starting quarterback in mind.
1: Well, I like that you had to explain why waiting until the first snap of the game and the season opener is a bad thing, because I, I think that that needs no explanation. I think I, I can I, I haven't heard. I don't know what Urban twenty twenty one Urban Meyer would say about twenty fifteen Urban Meyer's decision. But I can't imagine that he would look fondly on it because that that's a, that's an absurd thing to do. So yes, I, I can't imagine we're in a world where that actually happens this year. Um, you're right. Like I don't think you can take it too far um, because you do have those important games early on, um, and we know at Ohio State. Like if you know if you slip up early things start to get out of your control and you're reliant on a college football playoff committee that it's hard to exactly know how, how they'll see things. Um, I think that I think the first two weeks are the, are, are the two biggest weeks. I mean, it's pretty obvious um, at that point after those two weeks, maybe Ryan day doesn't publicly name a starter, but maybe they know who it is. Um, and I assume that they're going into the offseason having a decent idea, whether it's Kyle McCord or CJ Stroud, um, who that, who they, who they have an inkling it's going to be. Um, and you know, they're similar enough players that you don't have to design your offense around one and, you know, worry about it, not fitting the other guy. Like I think in 2015, that was certainly a concern with JT and Cardale who are completely different players. Um, so I don't think that that's necessarily a concern. Um, I I guess I wouldn't be shocked if they took it into game week. And then on that Monday, they said who the starting quarterback is, but I think internally within those first week or two of preseason camp, they'll know.
0: Yeah. To be clear, I think there's a very good chance that we will not know who the starting quarterback is until that Thursday night at Minnesota. But I think the team needs to know who the starting quarterback is well before that.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and you know, it's, the, the one thing about that is like, I think that that, I think that's generally fair, but you know, for, I don't know how many offensive linemen you have ever heard say like, I need to know who my quarterback is. And maybe you, maybe you, you know, maybe they say that from like a, a rallying around point of view. And like, this is the guy we want to rally around. I think that, you know, wide receivers uh, chemistry with the quarterback is important. And at the same time, I look at these wide receivers and say, I think they can catch passes from literally anybody and it's not really going to matter the quarterback. So, so I think that that is important, but, but to be quite honest, like I don't, I don't think that that's the the most important thing. Um, I just think it's like, as it, I, I would, if I were Ohio state, if I were Ryan day, I would be comfortable taking it maybe a little bit farther, further than, than other quarterback competitions solely based on the fact that, you know, they're pretty similar players. Um, they're they're young, and you probably want them to to you know compete as long as they possibly can, because um, I think that that's generally best for their for their improvement. And also, you know, I'm not too worried about the other guys around them. I I just think that the other guys around them are going to be okay, regardless of of who the quarterback is. And and to be quite honest, like I think we saw that on Saturday, like with some of the plays that these skill position players made, it was it was a reminder to me that. They might just have the best surrounding pieces um, around a around a quarterback that you could possibly have for,
0: for one of these young guys. Unless they just want to catch screen passes the whole game, they don't want to be catching passes from me.
1: Uh, no, that, I, nor me. I, I I would launch a deep one, though, if I knew Paris Johnson and Thayer Munford and Nick petit Frere could keep me clean for three seconds. I want to get to some other stuff beyond the quarterbacks, but we were asked
0: one question, but I think we discussed a little bit earlier this offseason, but Weave 77, he he mentioned the fact that, you know, most likely whoever wins this job, you would think there's a good chance is going to be uh, the starter for two or three years. So he said, given that, if you were Ryan Day, how much would roster management come into play when choosing the starting quarterback for September? And, you know, I think the way I look at it is that's – why i'm saying i'm giving mccord a chance here in august but you i think you have to uh, give him that chance and you you don't want to just say he's a freshman the other guys have more experience you really do want to play this thing out and make sure you pick the guy who you think is going to be the best quarterback of this group not just Who's the best quarterback right now? You you want it to be both of those things, but I think you do need to look at the long-term upside of this deal and, and say, who do we think is going to be the best quarterback over the next two to three years out of this group? Because, again, we're not going to speculate on what's going to happen with transfers and whatnot, but I think we do understand the fact that you know, if, if the guys who don't w- win the job this year ultimately could look to explore their options if their opportunity doesn't come at Ohio State. And then, you know, there's, there's also the variable of what happens with Quinn Ewers, depending on, uh, on this. I think that's a discussion for another time. Uh, you know, I also don't think you can make your decision this year based on Quinn Ewers. I think you have to make your decision this year based on who's the best guy on your roster right now. But I do think you need to think about it of okay, who who's gonna be the best guy here in, in two to three years? Because there's a good chance that the guy you don't pick to win this year, there's a definite chance that the other two guys are gonna finish their careers elsewhere.
1: Yeah, so I get all that. I think that my you know, my answer to the question of would roster man how much would roster management come into play would be zero percent. I just don't I don't I wouldn't think of it at all because I would assume that there's a transfer possibility with anybody if if they no matter who I pick, no matter when I pick them. I think that the reason I say zero is that I know that Quinn yours is committed and you know what it's all like we're talking about a quarterback competition right now it'll be crazier in 2022 when it's the preseason and it's whoever started this year versus Quinn yours. And if there's anybody else remaining from these three who, who who sticks on the roster and tries to win it out. So, so my, my roster management uh, would my, my percentage of thought that would be roster management beyond this specific season, be quite honest, would be zero. And my roster management in the spring to the fall to make sure that no one would transfer before the fall of 2021, you know, that would have been significantly higher because you definitely don't want any of these tr- three transferring before this upcoming season. It's just that, you know, I if I were, if I were Ryan Day, I would just assume that things are going to go haywire in the quarterback room after basically every season. And if it doesn't happen, just be happy it didn't happen and know that you're recruiting five stars uh, in the pipeline. And I
0: do think roster management has been on his mind this spring. I think that is one reason why he has – Literally refused to say anything comparing the quarterbacks to one another, and why he continues to say, which again, I think if we hook Brian Day up to a polygraph, I I don't think it's true. But I he 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 constantly says no separation, neck and neck, because he knows he knows if if, as soon as you give the indication that one of these guys is out of a competition, especially if the transfer rule that just passed this past week, where they could go somewhere else and play immediately, you know, if, if one of these guys thinks he's out of a competition, he absolutely could enter the transfer portal and go transfer somewhere right now. So I think there's absolutely a concerted effort from Ryan Day to try to keep all three of these guys happy so that they are on the roster this season so that he doesn't suddenly have a depth problem at quarterback. But I think, I agree with you, that I think beyond this season, you really can't worry about that. You've got to just pick, you know, who's the best guy of these free right now. Because I think you have to, you're not, you're certainly not pushing them out. You certainly want them all to stay, but I think you, you have to go into this assuming the other two guys might transfer, but when you have Quinn Ewers coming in, that's not as big a deal. All right. I'm quarterbacked out. What else we got? I am quarterbacked out too. Well, I think the other big storyline to me of the spring game was all the freshmen that were impressive. And Kyle McCord was certainly one of them, but Jack Sawyer had the the, the, the official box score only gave him three sacks, but I've rewatched the game. He did have four sacks. Jack Sawyer had four sacks in his first time playing in Ohio Stadium. Omeka Buka had seven catches for 123 yards. Marvin Harrison Jr. looked the part as he has all spring. He had seven catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. And then, you know, it was a hard game to evaluate the running backs, but I thought Travion Henderson was pretty impressive too. Uh, he had the most rushing yards and the most receiving yards among running backs in this game. So my one of my big takeaways from this spring game, you know, we had talked last week, uh, is, you know, is Ryan Day getting soft, uh, taking the black stripes off early? But no, I don't think so. I think this freshman class might just
1: be really freaking good. Yeah, you know, I was I was slightly skeptical of that last week and I'm I'm coming around to it because they were impressive. And I think that I I think I'm gonna write about that this week and in that, you know, we talked when Ryan Day became head coach about whether Ryan Day could recruit the way that Ryan Day needed to to keep Ohio State a national powerhouse and to keep Ohio State at the level that Urban Meyer got it to. These are all Ryan Day guys right now. They really are, and it's yeah. unbelievable to, to see what he's done. Because you know you you can see the future when you see a guy like Jack Sawyer have four sacks in a spring game, or Mecca Abuka have more than hundred yards, or, or Donovan, or you know Marvin Harrison Jr., who was a uh, was maybe a little bit forgotten about among the wide receivers who they brought in, especially with so much conversation about Abuka um, come in and and look really really solid off the bat, and you just think about these guys have been on campus three months. Like what's it going to look like when they've been on campus three years?
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think, I think, you know, again, I mean to have five guys out of that, those 15 early enrollees who are already flashing in in a spring game, I think gives you a lot of reason to be really excited about the future of these guys. I think, you know, the question I have now, we already talked about McCord, but for the other guys that we just mentioned is what kind of roles do we think they can have as freshmen? Because they're all at positions that are pretty deep. I mean, wide receiver, of course, we talked about how loaded they are there with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jameson Williams, Julian Fleming, you know, defensive end, they've got Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday and Javante Jean Baptiste style back at running back. You've got master Teague and Mayan Williams and Marcus Crowley and steel chambers, but I look at all of those guys and I say, you've got to find a way to get those guys on the field this year. Who
1: are Who's a guy who right now maybe you felt was most blocked or maybe a guy who you just thought maybe would need a couple of years to develop who all of a sudden you're just pretty confident is going to have some sort of a, a rotational role?
0: I mean, if we're talking going – into the spring. I mean, I don't think, I think everybody who's listening to podcasts knows I haven't been thinking this for a while, but like going into the spring, I wouldn't, I, th- I think my initial depth chart projection that I did in January, I don't think I even had Marvin Harrison Jr. on the free deep because they're just that loaded at receiver. But now I really think he's going to have a spot in the rotation this year. And, you know, I think again, I mean, we, we talked a little about the, the, you know, the Julian Fleming situation last week and You know, we'll see how that plays out if he's healthy in preseason camp. But, you know, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a guy who has done what he's needed to do this spring to steal someone's spot in the rotation. And I don't know that I necessarily saw that coming. But, you know, just watching him, he just seems so polished. I mean, you know, his route running is just really impressive for a guy who's only been in the program for 15 practices because we know – you know, Brian Hartline can develop route runners, but he's a guy that he just seems to be starting from a very advanced place uh, where he can just continue to get better. And the same for Emeka Abuka. I mean, Emeka Abuka, uh, he he's probably of the five stars, probably the guy we haven't talked about as much this spring, but man, watching him, I mean, he, he also absolutely looked like a guy who can make an impact this year.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, what's funny is like sometimes, Sometimes you see it as, as some lower-rated prospects who shine early on. Um, and I think Marvin Harrison might technically be that because if you were to look like maybe he's the 10th or 11th best player in this class, which is sort of crazy considering he's a top 100 recruit nationally. Um, but we're seeing the five-star guys be five stars right away. And I think that that's encouraging because, you know, sometimes we've seen over the years some five stars take longer to develop. And, and some of those guys really turn out good. But let's be honest, like when was the last time there was a five star who early in their career, you could see the flashes of like, oh, he's a I I can see why he's a five star. And then he just didn't live up to the hype. To be quite honest, that doesn't really happen. And I think that I think it's I think it's a really good sign that Abuka, Henderson, Sawyer and McCord have all shown signs to be like, yep, okay, I'm seeing it. This guy's a little bit different than everybody else you know, I don't want to
0: get ahead of myself, but man, like you just watch Jack Sawyer on Saturday and you think, (laughs) think, I mean, you, you just watch him and you think, yeah, this is the next chase young. This is the next Bosa. Like, it's like
1: this guy's going to go top five sometime. Well, not sometime. He's going to go top five in three years. (laughs) Like that's, I, it's getting so far ahead of ourselves that it's lunacy considering we've never seen him play a game for Ohio state. He's played one game, of competitive football at 18 months. And it was a freaking spring game where his sacks were against a couple walk-ons and a couple third and fourth stringers. But can we go full bore? Like you don't see this. You don't see someone get four sacks in a
0: spring game. No. And like now to me, it's like, okay, like I said it before, but I think he has to have a role. Now it's like, okay, how big is that role going to be? Cause like Tyler Friday and Javante Jean Baptiste, need to have made big strides this off season if they're keeping Jack Sawyer off the field, because I think Jack Sawyer, I mean, you can see it. I think this is a guy who's got some serious instant impact potential. I don't, I don't think he's taken a starting job away from Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith, but I think him working into that too deep and having a real place in that rotation as a freshman is very possible.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit skeptical on that last week. And I wish I had seen the spring game before (laughs) I had been skeptical because I'm no longer skeptical. I mean, I think, I don't know how many snaps he'll play. You know, maybe he's learning against the run and maybe maybe he'll be out there more for pass snaps, third down snaps. You know, it's hard to know exactly what his role will be. But if I was guessing now, like I think he'll have the third most snaps at defensive end. Like, I just think he'll end up with that because talents like Jack Sawyer, you know, I was about to say they don't come along very often at Ohio State. They tend to come along a little bit more often than at other places, but they shouldn't come along very often because he's different.
0: The running back situation remains very interesting and one of the more difficult ones to figure out to me too, because I it, it's hard also in the sense that Master Teague didn't practice that much this spring because it's like, what I, what I don't know is are they just locked in on master Teague is going to be the starter and he's going to play the most of these guys, or is there a chance that if Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams have impressed them enough that master slides down the depth chart? Because I, I, that's the one to me that's like, it's really hard to project right now. Cause I I do think Travion is going to make an instant impact, but I also think Mayan Williams is going to have a role at, at that position. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. I don't know, but I don't think I have any more clarity on that at this point. I, I think, you know, I, I just feel like, again, we've talked about it before. They're in a good spot there. The good news is they have options. And so I think we can feel pretty good that, you know, they're going to have a good backfield regardless of how it all shakes out. But I think it's going to be an interesting one to monitor in preseason camp of just how exactly that shakes out in terms of, who's in the rotation and how they split up snaps, because I think they have a lot of good options. And I do think you could end up in a situation where y- you've got to decide, okay, do we go with the experienced guy who we trust or do we go with the younger guy who's maybe showing a little more ability to be a game breaker here?
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you know, I went into the spring game really wanting to watch Trey on Henderson and like you know, it was interesting to see him, but at the same time, not tackling really ruined it um, for him. You couldn't you couldn't get a real great vibe on that, which was unfortunate, but maybe expected. Maybe expected. Um, I like you. I'm centered on three guys. Like it's Master Teague, it's Brian Williams, it's Trayvon Henderson. You know, maybe Crowley Chambers or a Pryor can wedge their way into it somehow. I just don't see it at this point. And I, if I, if it was me, I, I'd put
0: Crowley. Ahead of Chambers and Pryor, I would too. I would Crow- do. I thought Crowley looked pretty good in his brain. Looking at Pryor, like I, I just think he's a guy. He looks to me like a guy who's going to need some more time to develop before he's ready to contribute. And I'm, I don't know. I, I just don't get the vibe that Steel Chambers is is going to really be a factor in there. I think Crowley has an outside shot. I just think there might be too many guys in front of him at this point.
1: Yeah, I think your point about Master Teague, though, is a good one because I don't think any of us really have a great gauge on that. Like, is Master Teague just going to walk out there and every game you can assume that he's going to get 12 carries and then there are 10 other carries to go between Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams? Or, like, is there a chance that Master Teague could just get usurped and have, like, three or four carries a game? I, I really don't know. Um, because, like, to be quite honest, like, I think a ceiling's lower than – both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams. Um, but he's also a two-time all big 10 guy. He's been around, you know, he's the consummate leader, you know, he's a physical freak, all these things. Um, I just think it's ceiling's lower. And, and I think, and, and and I don't know how Tony Alford's going to, going to use them. Cause if you remember like when Mike Weber and JK Dobbins were in a backfield, like I think most of us thought that JK Dobbins was definitely the better running back and they played, fairly similar snap counts, had fairly similar touches. Um, so I do wonder if we get to the fall and we're like, you know, I don't really know why Master Teague has so many carries compared to these other guys. Like, I think that's totally on the table. Maybe that's unfair to Master Teague and maybe I'm looking too much into the, the limited time we've seen of Mind Williams and the, and you know, the hype that has come with Travion Henderson. Um, but I am in, I am, I'm intrigued and also just sort of confused about that. And I don't know that we're going to have an answer um, until the season starts, really, because that's that's a position, you know, we talk about at some point, maybe you need a quarterback. You could legitimately walk into the first game of the season not really knowing who the starting running back is going to be or how they're going to split carries. And I think generally, like, Ohio State would be fine because running back is just a different position in that way. One question that was answered in the spring game, The bullet is real.
0: It's real, Colin. It it I I was skeptical, but right now Ohio State is actually listing players on its roster as bullets. Those being Craig Young and Ronnie Hickman, and those guys basically played every snap in the game on Saturday. They they were on different teams, and even in the second half, they played basically every snap at that bullet position. Which you know it does appear to be a real thing. You know, at times those guys were just lining up as basically a Sam linebacker and that's the position they've replaced in that defense. But, you know, they were also lining up, you know, as safeties at times they were, you know, being flexed out at times. So I think this bullet position is real. Now, you know, we, we have to look at it with the caveat of Ohio state had only five healthy linebackers in the spring game. And they were so decimated at linebacker in the spring game that Roan McCullough the backup long snapper was playing linebackers. So that limited what they could do in the sense of having free traditional linebackers out there. But I'm buying, I'm buying the bullet. Now I, I think the bullet is going to be a primary position in this defense. And now my question is who's the starter there? Cause I, I think it could be a pretty close battle between Ronnie
1: Hickman and Craig young for that starting job. I love the bullet, Dan. I love that it exists. I don't even know it was in 2019. I don't even think Brendan White was listed as a bullet official. He wasn't. No, this was yeah. the first time that they listed BLT on the roster. Listen, I, I I I love it because I have I've been a bullet truther now for two years, and I bought into the bullet this spring. And and you know, I think that the bullet to me represents everything that Ohio State is doing right in fixing the back end of the defense in that I think they're being creative. I think they're playing to their strengths, and I think they're playing to the fact that they got like six guys who they don't really know 100% where they're going to fit in, but they feel like they can be contributors. I'm talking about like a Craig Young, Ronnie Hickman, Layden Ransom, Cam Martinez, you know, Marcus Williamson, all these different guys who know maybe they're nickel bats, maybe they're slot cornerbacks, maybe they're second safeties, maybe they're bullets, uh, but it feels like they're testing out where to where where to put these guys I think the bullet the bullets right there alongside that because you know Craig Young's an athletic freak and Ronnie Hickman you know people forget about the fact that he was a top 100 recruit you know three years ago and you know his the start of his Ohio State career was just marred by injuries and he's had different coaches and I think that that's been a little bit difficult uh but but these guys are legit and I think that it makes sense to rely on them in this kind of role where you know to me a bullet can do a little bit about a, a little bit of everything you know it can be a second safety it can roll up and and defend the run it can it can blitz it can play man to man um there i think the bullet's interesting because if we're talking about a defense that we just saw you know get shredded a bit by Alabama like to me the 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 bullet makes sense in that you're essentially trying to get a little bit more speed out there
0: from the back end of a defense as a whole how do you come out of a spring game feeling about it because to me it was hard to really get a read on it because seven banks wasn't out there cam brown wasn't out there marcus williamson wasn't out there so i still i still don't feel like i have a great read on what exactly the secondary is going to look like in august but i did think we saw some good things from some of the younger dbs like ryan watts and, and leif and ransom and cam martinez
1: it's difficult to peg exactly how it'll look I think that that's the thing I come back to is there's two guys who I feel really confident are going to be starters That's seven banks on the outside at cornerback That's Josh Proctor at, at, free safety, deep safety, whatever they're going to call it. Um, And outside of that personnel wise, I don't know hundred percent what they're going to do. Like I think Cam Brown, I would say is probably a likely starter outside cornerback. And at the same time, like, Cam Brown's still not healthy. Like Cam Brown didn't have a spring. He didn't play the majority of the the, the regular season and, and, and didn't play any in the postseason last year. Um so to say that you feel confident in Cam Brown, uh it's just hard to know right now. Um and I think that, that that's the that's the uncertainty to me is a lot of the 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 older returners, you know, Cam Brown, Seven Banks, how good's he gonna be? Josh Proctor, how good is he gonna be? I think to be honest, like this is this is the weird thing of, of when you're talking about football. Like, I think I'm more confident in the uncertainty than the certainty. I don't know why, um, but I don't, I feel like the kind of the, the Lathan Ransoms, the Ronnie Hickman, the Cam Martinez is who we've seen in limited time. It feels like they're really pushing in one way or another. I don't know hundred percent how it's going to shake out, but I feel confident in those guys being able to help somehow. And to me, I think, I think there is some dynamic here
0: that's I don't know if it's the same, but I think it's somewhat similar to what we were just talking about at running back of where like the slot corner position is one I look at where like, okay, Marcus Williamson's an, a, an incumbent starter, but I don't know, but he's the best guy at that position. I'm not even sure if he's the second best guy at that position, yep. because I think Leif and Ransom and Cam Martinez have both made big moves. So like, that's what I'm going to be really interested to see. How does that shake out? You know, I've said it before. I think Leif and ransom is going to have a substantial role in the defense this year, the way they've talked about him. I'd be really surprised if he doesn't cam Martinez is a guy. He would be one of those guys that going into the spring, I really didn't think was going to play much this year. Now I think there's a chance because you know, I, the way they've talked about him, you know, but as much as he was out there in the spring game, I, I think there's a chance uh, that he's a guy that, you know, could have a role. I'm just not as sure exactly what that role would look like. Um, you know, and we were asked by a uh, huff daddy. One of the questions he asked uh, was about seven banks and cam Brown. And he said, you know, they, they were neither was a world beater last year when they played, obviously not much for Brown, any chance, one of the young guys like Watts beats them out. And, and, and to me, that is still a question that I have. Cause I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think banks is going to be a starter. I'd be very surprised if seven banks was not a starter. Cam Brown, I would, you know, I'm going to do a depth chart projection for the site here soon. And I am going to project that Cam Brown will be a starter, but I'm not confident in that because he didn't play much last year. And so, you know, I, I still think that's a question going into to camp. You know, I also, I don't know that like I'm at the point where I look at any of these other guys at outside quarter and go, man, they really got to get that guy in the field, you know, Watts, you know, he had an interception on Saturday. He he looked pretty good. I think he's probably the guy I look at who's probably making the biggest push right now. But I don't know if I'm at the point where I go, man, like they really got to get him on the field. Like, I think I kind of look at him and go, you know, maybe he's a guy that could help him, but I still don't know how good he is yet.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's just hard right now. I think that I think Ohio State's going to be in a great place at cornerback a year from today. I think it'll be a great place a year from fair. today when Ryan Watts and Legend Cavazos are in their third year. You know, maybe Cam Brown and Seven Banks are back. You don't you don't really know with them. You know, in the slot, you'd have Cam Martinez and Lathan Ransom, Jekalin Johnson and Jordan Han- Hancock are coming in. Like there is going to be a lot of talent a year from today. But I think right now you just don't have any proven guys. And, I, and you know, I like what Ryan Watts. I liked what I saw for Ryan Watts on Saturday. I thought that that was pretty. I thought that was promising, to be honest, um, especially in the long term. But if we're talking about this is one practice, like we're talking about one interception and one practice that he had uh, of the forty or so practices they'll have before the season starts. It's hard for me to overblow that and say you know they have to get him on the field. Like I think it's possible that he beats out Cam Brown. Um, especially since cam brown's been hurt and we don't know exactly when he'll be back uh, but i i like you i would give i i would still project cam brown as a starter i think there's a chance he gets beaten out um this, i think a guy like ryan Watts would have to have one heck of an off season here or one heck of a summer and just ball out in the preseason camp but i i'm i'm also not ruling that out minbuck asked us who are some players
0: who had an excellent spring game we might not have noticed and you know, I think this is a tough question because there's so much substituting in the spring game and there's only, you know, so many plays that, you know, there's only going to be so many stars in the spring game. But I'll just mention, you know, from watching and re-watching the game a little bit, you know, a few guys who also caught my eye that we haven't talked about. I thought Tommy Eichenberg looked pretty good out there. I you know, specifically noticed him making a couple plays in coverage because that's been my bigger question with him is, you know, what what kind of player would he be in coverage? And from what I saw, I, I thought he looked pretty good in that regard in the spring game. Uh, Cody Simon would be another young linebacker that I, I thought looked good just just watching the game. I, you know, he's a guy that you know I've talked about, but I still think you know I think Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant are probably the starting linebackers at those two inside spots. But I think Cody Simon's a guy who's making a push there, where you know maybe after missing the spring, maybe Dallas Gant has got to beat him out uh, now in preseason camp, and then. You know, watching on the defensive line, uh, I, I one play that caught my eye was uh, Jerron Cage had a really nice spin move uh, to beat a blocker and then and got a sack off bat. that. That is a kind of play I hadn't seen before from Jerron Cage. And then, you know, a couple of the younger guys who caught my eye as well, Noah Potter, who just moved inside to defensive tackle, uh, he seems to be taken well to that move. You know, and I, I think that's an interesting move there because I think We talked about it with Jack Sawyer and all the returners at defensive end. I don't think there was really going to be any path to substantial playing time for him at defensive end this year. But I think if that defensive tackle rotation, you know, maybe there's a shot. You know, it's probably a third team guy, but we know Larry Johnson likes to rotate deep on that defensive tackle spot. He's a guy that to me, uh, you know, looks like he's maybe making a push bear or some snaps at defensive tackle. And then uh, Jacoby Cowan's a guy I noticed as well. Uh, He was playing a little bit of defensive tackle, a little bit of defensive end. We didn't see him play at all last year because he was injured. He looked like he was doing pretty well in there. I don't know that I see a significant role for him this year, but just to see him out there making a few plays and showing some versatility, I think is a good sign for what he could be in the future.
1: I think those are all good ones. You know, to be honest, there aren't, you know, it's hard to say because like, do you want to just pick out a guy who like had one really good play that that you saw? I think the one guy who I would say, just basically every time my eyes locked in on him, I was like, you know, he's, he's basically Stonewall and that's Thayer Munford. And I don't know if that was the guys he was going against, maybe not being uh, the the all time greats um, or if it was just Thayer Munford has taken a net step, but if you're, if, if you're C.J. Stroud or if you're Jack Miller, if you're Kyle McCord and you have Thayer Munford at left tackle, you got to feel pretty safe. Well, this is a guy who
0: says he wants to be the best offensive tackle in next year's NFL draft. So if he's going to do that, he's got to take that next step. And I'd be honest, I can't say I was really watching too much of Thayer Munford in the spring game because I think I expect Thayer Munford to be good in the spring game. You know, it's kind of like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson making plays. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I expected that. Uh,
1: but it's always good, that he's looking good he also played a lot more than I thought he was going he to did. I I agree. He was like five snaps and then they'd take him out, but he, he played into the second half. And I think that speaks
0: to the fact that they're, they've been talked so much about trying to make up reps this spring because they had less this, this fall. And so I think that's why, you know, you did see a lot of those starters uh, play deeper into the spring game this year than we've seen in past years, because they're just trying to get those guys as many reps as possible.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, you know, I, I come out of this, I come out of the spring, essentially, you know, one of my main points is that there are no major injuries that I feel like are going to keep someone out in the fall. And we've seen in the past that has happened, and, you know, maybe Mitchell Melton uh, misses games this fall. We don't know exactly his injury, but Ryan Day said it's significant, no miss significant time. Uh, so maybe he's a guy, but let's be honest, like he was probably a third string linebacker on our on our projections so if we're going to talk about like starters everybody's healthy and you got to feel you ha- you have to feel pretty good about that that sure there, there are some guys who maybe didn't play in the spring game or whatnot but everybody will be healthy by preseason who is projected to be a starter
0: and i think ryan day even said that right at the start of his post game press conference so like our biggest goal was getting out of your healthy and we did so yep uh, it's always a good thing when you're a coach dan you want to end
1: this by talking basketball
0: yeah, let's talk a little basketball because there was some basketball news uh, this past week. Uh, Biggest of that coming on Saturday night after the spring game with Joey Brunk announcing his transfer to Ohio State. Joey Brunk was a guy who actually started his career playing for Chris Holtman at Butler, then spent the last two years at Indiana. And now he's going to finish his career using his extra year of eligibility to play at Ohio State. So, Probably the most important thing for people to know about Joey Brunk is he's six foot 11, which uh, there's been a lot of uh, clamoring for Ohio state to add a big man. They've now done that. Maybe not the big man that everyone wanted, but somebody who's got some experience, somebody who's going to be able to play a role for them this upcoming season. Colin, why do you think he was the right fit for what Chris Holtman and his staff were looking for? I was saying he
1: is big and he is a man. This is this is the big man that, that we've all heard about. I think, you know, the one thing about Joey Brunk is he's not Efton Reed. Uh, like, we can all be honest about that. Like this, I've talked about Efton Reed for a long time. Ohio State recruited Efton Reed for three plus years. You know, he's a, he's a five-star, the number 23 player in the country, a legit seven-footer, somebody who would really help Ohio State. And basketball recruiting is a different beast. So despite that, you know, in the last in the final weeks of his recruitment, you know, LSU got involved heavily um, pushed themselves to the forefront of that recruitment alongside Ohio state um, Pitt had been after him for a while. And then out of absolutely nowhere the night before there started to be some Florida, some Florida state smoke, which like, I cannot stress how out of nowhere this was there were. So he was supposed to make his commitment last Thursday, if I remember, was it last Thursday or Friday? It was Friday? Thursday. It was Thursday. So it was last Thursday. As of Wednesday night at like 9 p.m., in the history of Twitter, there were four tweets that were that had the words Efton Reed and Florida State in, in them, and like two in like the calendar year. Like nobody – Florida State was not on the radar at all. And, and somehow, some way, they wedged their way into that recruitment. You know, two days later, Ohio State – uh, decide to to take Joey Brunk's commitment and he's not Efton Reed like he's not a guy who you're looking at as a potential 15 a game scorer, somebody who you know maybe has the potential to maybe in a second year on campus be a first team all Bay 10 guy and, and be an NBA guy like Joey Brunk is a role player um, Joey Brunk has always been a role player he's never played 20 minutes a game in his entire college basketball career from Butler to Indiana and I don't think he's going to play more than 20 minutes a game on this team either like to me what Joey brunk is is he's sort of what what jamari wheeler is and that these guys aren't brought in to win ohio state national championship single-handedly to me this is the kind of guy that you bring in to supplement a team that you think can go really far and to be really good um and he's gonna you know the idea with him is to play him at center with zed key let ej liddell move a little bit more to the to the four with kyle young and I think that he adds some of that front court depth. That's going to help them get through the big 10 season. He's a big body down low. Um, he's a decent finisher inside. He's a decent rebounder. His athleticism is a, is a little bit lacking, which makes him, you know, a little bit more of a concern defensively. Uh, but he's in his sixth year. He, de- he He's he's known Chris Holtman for <laughs> like closer to a decade than a half decade, which is sort of crazy to say. He's not a sexy addition, but I do think it's a, it's a solid, it's a fine addition when you know, at at that point that you weren't going to get Efton Reed. Yeah. To me, I think he is what they
0: need. You know I mean? Obviously you'd you'd rather get an Efton Reed. You'd rather get a Chet Holmgren, but if you're not going to, if you're not going to be able to get that five-star guy, I I think he fills a need because I look at it unless EJ Liddell goes to the NBA, you know, Joey Brunks not going to be a starter. I mean, EJ Liddell and then Kyle Young, who also announced his return last week, you know they're going to be your starters in the front court. You know you've got Justice Suing in there, you've got Seth Towns in there, you've got Zed Key in there. So you really what they needed was a rotational guy. They needed a guy who can give them some minutes off the bench. Maybe depending on matchups, you know I could see you know there could be games where this guy you know Joey Brunk plays twenty minutes a game because they really need that Size of there. There could be games where he plays five minutes a game because they don't need that size in there. I think it could be very matchup dependent how much Joey Brunk plays and what he brings to the team. But, you know, I think he fills that need they have to just have somebody who can, can contribute off the bench that, that gives them that size. Cause you know, we haven't really seen anything through two years from Ibrahim Diallo to, to be able to count on him next year. So if this is at least a guy who, You know, he has experience playing in the Big Ten. He has a lot of experience playing college basketball. He can come in, be a solid role player and give you a little more beef in in that front court. And, you know, I think that's good enough for this team to have a chance to be a contender. I mean, yeah, an Efton Reed would give you a bigger spark, but I think adding a Joey Brunk is good enough for this team to have a chance to be a contender.
1: I think that some Ohio State basketball fans, and, and I, and I understand this point of view, are are a little bit disappointed in the Joey Brunk edition when you see, you know, some of the other transfers um, that that have been made in, in in college basketball, and knowing that the number of transfers right now is, you know, fourteen hundred in the portal, like twenty five percent of college basketball players are in the portal, which is nuts and and I understand that you know you look around and it's like can can Ohio State not have done better than Joey Brunk and I and I and I get that point of view I'm sympathetic to that point of view you know I think there are aspects of Joey Brunk's game that I that I like um and that I think are helpful and then there's also like the reality that maybe I think Ohio State could have gotten somebody who's a little bit better of a shot blocker, a little bit better of a rim protector, somebody who's a little bit more athletic. You know, I I wonder that personally, when I think about the fact that him rotating with Zed at center means that I think that those two guys offensively are going to be helpful. I think that defensively, that's going to be a little bit of an adventure. Um, and I'm interested to see how it plays out. You know, those two guys, I think, are going to need to make significant strides defensively. But also, like, you know, there are guys, there are, there are guys names like Trey Mitchell from UMass. Who was thrown out? Um, some other guys, and and I think that the 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 point I'll make on that is I get not being super excited about Joey Brunk but if you're going to go try to recruit a guy who's already averaging 15 a game somewhere else and say, come to Ohio state and play center, you'll rotate with Zed. We also have EJ and, and, um and Kyle Young in the front court, you know, Seth Towns is going to be healthier. Justice Sewing's a double digit score. We're bringing in a five-star Malachi Branham. We have Dwayne Washington. We have Michi Johnson. Like there's one ball guys. <laughs> like I, there. At some point, you have to understand that you're not going to bring in an established college scorer who's averaging 15 a game and bring him into to this team. Now, the caveat being, I think next year they will need to do that because if you have eight seniors on this team, which is sort of crazy, and maybe one or two of them come back for an extra year because you know some of them will be eligible to do that, you know, maybe only lose six or seven guys, but you're going to need to hit the transfer portal for some significant additions next year. I just don't think that you needed that this year. I think to your point, you needed a guy who is going to come in and supplement what Ohio state has on its roster right now. And Chris Holtman really knows what Joey Brunk brings. Um, that relationship has been really strong for years and years and years. You know, he has a really good idea of, you know, his health and where he's at and in, in terms of that. And I think that if you're looking for a role player, like he's, Joey Brunk's not a, he's not a flashy name, but I, to, to your point, like I think he's good enough for what they needed. And like you said, there's this role that he's coming into play
0: might not have been appealing to the top people in the transfer market, but for him, I think quite clearly the appeal to this move is the chance to play for Chris Holtman and his staff again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case. And also like, to do exactly what Jamari Wheeler told me that he wants to do, like compete for a national championship. Because like for, I think that, I don't know if it's just the loudest voices on social media or whatnot, but there are some people who are just very upset with where Ohio state is as a, as a program, as if I'm not looking at all these preseason projections for next season that say like Ohio state's going to be a top five team. I feel like I'm going crazy. Like I feel like they're in a really good place right now. And and last year was a terrible, terrible ending to the season. And you can say like they're about to enter year five and Chris Holtman hasn't reached the second week into the week at the NCAA tournament. And, And that's, you know, I understand that point of view. You can also say that, you know, he had one year with Thad's guys. He had one year that was rebuilding the third year, the NCAA tournament got canceled the fourth year. They had a terrible upset. Um, so essentially to me, uh, if they have another terrible upset next year, I would be more concerned than I am right now. Um, I think that this roster that they have right now is pretty well constructed, unless EJ or Dwayne Washington decide to to go pro and stick with stick with keeping themselves in the in the NBA draft pool. Like I think they're going to be really good next year. Dan, where are you at right now? Yeah, I mean, if you look at their roster. I mean, I think
0: EJ and Dwayne, if you assume they come back, I mean, I think those are two guys who are, are probably like top 30 players in all of college basketball. Like if they come back, like I think both of them are at that level right now of, of being two of the top players in the country. And then, you know, you mentioned it, they're going to have eight seniors. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of to have that kind of experience on a team. And and I think there's just, they've got a lot of good solid role players between Kyle Young being back and Justice Suing and Seth Towns and now Jamari Wheeler and now Joey Bronk and you know Justin Arns and I just think they they've got a lot of good solid players and then you know Malachi Branham is a guy that I look at I, I think he absolutely has the potential coming in as a freshman to make an immediate impact you know Michi Johnson certainly a guy as well that you know we didn't see a ton from last year but you know you got to remember that he he was a guy who was basically a high school senior playing college basketball. So I think with him having a full year, you'd expect a significant stride from him. So I think you look at the roster as a whole, and I think it's a very deep roster. I I think it's a a well-rounded roster. You know, I don't, again, I mean, I don't know if there's a superstar on the roster, but I think all in all, I think it's a well-rounded roster to where, you know, they should be capable of being a, Going deep in the NCAA tournament kind of team. Now, will they do that? Again, I mean, I think I think it's fair to be skeptical because of the fact that we haven't seen Chris Holtman do it at Ohio State yet. But I think in terms of having
1: the pieces to be capable of doing it, yeah, I think the pieces are there. Here's the the you know, one of the last points I'll make on on you know expectations and whatnot, because we're obviously gonna have a long time to talk about net season and preview it you know, I think if you look at all four of Chris Holtman's teams at Ohio state, you can make a case that each of them individually exceeded preseason expectations. I think if you want to, you know, if you want to quibble with one or or two, like, I think maybe you can, but generally if you look at where they are preseason and where they end up, they've generally been better than where people thought they'd be. And right now people think that they're going to be a top 10 team in the country. If you're going on past history, Um, And people seem to be really interested in doing that when it comes to the NCAA tournament. If you're going on the history of these four years, you can assume, I think so, that Ohio State's going to be really good next season.
0: So it's like we've talked about a couple times already and we're going to talk about again. This is a really big year for
1: Chris Holtman. It is. It's a massive, massive year because this, when you look at, you know, he talks about wanting wanting to get old and stay old. This is a really old team it should be a really good team provided EJ Liddell and Dwayne Washington come back. It should be really talented. Uh, these guys have done it. They've lost at a high level. They've won at a high level. They've done everything in between. Uh, they have, they've built up relationships with, you know, the, the coaches o- over, over the years, you've got guys like Seth Downs who have, who have come in from, from other schools and ingratiated themselves and into the team. Um, same with Justice Suing, same with Jamari Wheeler and Joey Bronx soon enough. And I think you put it all together, like, this should be a year that they win big. It really should. I think this is a second
0: time we've closed out the show of Colin making bold predictions about Ohio state
1: basketball. So they're good. You, I mean, I, I feel like some people are uncomfortable saying that because of la- how last season ended, but I, I I'm fine saying it like they should be very good. And if they're not, we'll have a conversation in a year about what in the world happened. Cause they, this should not be a team that falls apart. Well, as you mentioned, Colin, we'll have plenty more time
0: to, Talk about all kinds of expectations for football and basketball as we now really get into uh, the depths of the offseason here now that spring football is over. But uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed all of our coverage of spring ball over the past few weeks and the basketball talk we've we've done there as well. Next week is NFL draft week. So anybody who knows me knows that I'm excited for next week. So we will certainly uh, be talking about that next week and anything else that comes up uh as well so thanks again for for listening in and we'll talk to you again soon